Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. So today, uh, we're starting a, a collection of sermons called Emotionally Healthy Relationships because it's not enough just to have relationships. I believe that God desires for us to have emotionally healthy relationships. He wants us to be strong in our relationships. He wants us to be the best version of ourselves so that we can present into our relationships um, just a healthy whole person so that we can grow and learn together. Let me give you this passage of scripture, and this is going to be kind of our starting point for today, and I'm going to share just a few thoughts, and we're going to jump uh, outside into the the small group expo. But Mark chapter 12, this is what the entire collection is really based off of. Um, The context here, Jesus was having a discussion and a debate uh, with some people around some theology, some great questions they were asking, and one of the guys, a teacher of religious law, he steps up and he asks Jesus this question. Look, it says, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate that Jesus was having with someone. It says he realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, look at this, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, there's like 600 plus commandments, right? And he says, of all of them, if you, Jesus, were to distill all 600 plus down to just like one, what would it be? If you were, if you were to boil down all of the instructions and the imperatives of scripture, and you were to get it down to just like one big takeaway, Jesus, what would, you, what would you tell me? What would you tell this crowd that's here today? And, um, and this, is, this is great. Jesus says this, he replies, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. Now look at this. The second is equally as important. I mean, just stop right there. He just said the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's, that's your whole body, like all of you, all of your mind, your reason, your logic, your, your emotions, your soul, every part of you love God, love him with everything. And he says, but the next thing I'm going to tell you is equally as important. What could be equally as important as loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? He goes on and he says this, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is, as great, uh, is greater than these. Now, when you read that, you've got to notice the way that Jesus is framing this up. He says, I want you to love God and love people. We cannot separate these two things. He says, learning to love God well without learning to love people well is just not going to work. These things go hand in hand. It's this vertical and this horizontal relationship that you've got to get. He's like, you've got to understand this. And, and here's what I'm discovering. And that it is impossible to truly love God without learning how to relate and love people. It's impossible to learn how to love people and relate to people unless you get into a relationship with God. These things are not mutually exclusive. They go hand in hand. And, and here's what I love about, uh, this guy Peter Scazzeri wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says this, emotional health, listen to this, emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Now, I want you just to think about that for a moment. What is he saying? In other words, he says, it's not enough for us just to, to, to try to grow in our relationship with God spiritually. Go to church, pray, fast, read your Bible, grow in the things of God. He's like, it's not enough. 
Like that is not, that is not real spirituality. He says you cannot separate spiritual maturity and emotional maturity. That is, you can learn to love God. You can learn to worship. You can, listen, you can actually know every, every single word to every worship song. You can quote scripture from Genesis to Revelations. You can do a 21 day fast and look slim at the end of it. Like you can do everything in your power spiritually and you can say you know God, but unless you relate to people as a whole person, emotionally mature and strong and able to love people well and be patient with people, he's like, you actually do not have a spirituality at all because any, any spirituality that does not affect your relationships and does not affect you emotionally is not really a spirituality. It's actually a pseudo spirituality. You cannot know God and practice the presence of God and fail to, to practice the presence of people. Like you just cannot do it. You, you'll never be able to separate those two things. They go hand in hand. I, I love the, the, the wisdom of Jesus, the way that he says this. He's like, guys, you think, he's speaking to religious people that know the scriptures. He's like, guys, you think it's all about you knowing scriptures. You think it's all about your church attendance. You think it's about all the spiritual to-dos. He was like, but I'm telling you, if you don't know how to be patient with people, if you don't know how to have a good spirit towards people, if you don't know how to speak life-giving words to people, he was like, your spirituality is shallow and empty. He was like, it's like that you ever been to Baskin Robbins before or one of those ice cream shops where, 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 where they, they scoop the ice cream, they put it, it's looking so good. You got the mint chocolate, chocolate chip with the sprinkles on top. You got a little bit of the chocolate syrup on top and you go to bite into that scoop and it's just a scoop and it's hollow on the inside. You ever, ever been to one of those places like that? I can't stand that. I'm like, I got gypped here. I want a big, just dense Big, just, 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 just homemade vanilla blue bell. That's from the south, I think. But just, I want, I want just, I want it to be dense. I want it to have substance to it. The reality is, if we don't know how to relate to other people, we're just as shallow as that scoop. That is what our spirituality is like. God wants us to have a robust spirituality, and the way that that happens is through being in relationship with other people, learning how to relate to other people. I don't have time to, to dig into this, but over in 1 Corinthians, do you know this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was addressing with the church in Corinth? He says, guys, he says, you're, you, you grow in your giving, man, your knowledge of scripture, he was like, you eagerly desire all these spiritual gifts. Remember this? He goes, prophecy, you're, you're all about being filled with the spirit. You're all about the gifts of the spirit, all of these things. And he goes, however, he goes, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the marriage scripture, right? Remember when he goes, love is patient, love is kind, all that. You know what he's saying to the Corinthians? He was like, guys, you're growing in your spirituality, your gifts, your knowledge of theology. You're growing in that, but all of it is worth nothing unless you love all of it is worth nothing if you don't learn how to relate to other people. And these things, the point I'm trying to make to you is that it's inseparable. You cannot separate emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. You cannot separate how you relate to the people that you work with, not just Christians, the people that you work with or the people that you live with or the people that live on your street. If we don't know how to relate to them, we'll never fully know how to relate to God. You cannot separate those two things. Today, I just want to unpack just this, uh, this little story. I'm not going to dig into it really, really deep. I just want to use it to set up this one idea for today as we lean into small groups. Mark chapter 2, 
Um, verse number one. This is a great story. Jesus is in Capernaum. He's been on a teaching tour, doing ministry. His reputation is growing. People are starting to, to know that he's a miracle maker. Like he, he has fed uh, all these people by doing miracles, multiplying food. Uh, he's, been, uh, he's been touching people that, that have been sick for years and, and in their body, he touches them or he speaks a word to them and they're healed. I mean, his reputation is growing. That if you're desperate and you have a need, if you can come and find Jesus, he can change everything, which I think is an amazing truth about Jesus. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, no matter how desperate you are, if you could just get to Jesus, everything can be changed. Everything can be different. And so his reputation is growing. And so we'll pick up here in Mark chapter two. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, it says, the news spread quickly that he was back home. This was a place where he would do a lot of ministry out of this city. It says, soon the house where he was staying was so packed. This is what my prayer is for our church. Like, it's not because we're trying to build a big church. I just want to see people come into the spiritual family that God has called them to come into. But I love this. It says, the, the house that he was staying at, it was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four, somebody say four. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. <laughs> I love this. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Verse five, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. To which if I'm this guy, I'm like, I don't know if you uh, have good uh, perception here, Jesus, but my issue is that my legs don't work, but you're trying to forgive me. Like, can we just work on the legs? This is where my mind goes, right? <laughs> um, it says, but some of the teachers of the religious law were sitting there uh, and they thought to themselves. So they think this to themselves. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. That is bad to the bone right there. Jesus is like, I know exactly what's going on in their mind. Like he's just mind reading there, right? He says, I know exactly what they're thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. And he said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now, listen. I'm not going to, to dig all the way down this passage. I may preach it to you another time because there's a lot of great things there. I mean, one of the points would probably be something like this. Uh, this man got more than what he came there for, right? I mean, he came there to get his legs fixed and he gets his heart cleansed, right? There's so much in this passage. It's so beautiful. But I want to focus on this fact. Is that in verse 5, this man receives something out of the grace of God, out of the generosity of God's heart, he hasn't earned it. He hasn't deserved this. There's no merit that has made God, you know, smile towards him or be favorable towards him. But what you do see an operation here that unlocks a miracle in this man's life, a man that is, listen, his, his entire life has been restricted to a three by five mat. Talk about a quality of life. My father had multiple strokes and for probably six years of his life, he was bedridden and, and, and was completely paralyzed. The quality of life was terrible for my father. I remember watching that and that, that's what this guy's life is like. 
we don't know how long, but, but let's just say his entire life, his quality of life has been restricted to this mat about three feet by five feet laying on this mat. He has nothing. I mean, he has absolutely nothing in his life. We get no indication that his family is even caring for him. This man has, has he's, he's probably lost a lot of things in his life. Maybe he got paralyzed on the job. Maybe he was disabled on the job and he lost his job. I, I don't know. You can use your imagination. But what we do know is this, this man, his life is now restricted to this broken state where he really can't do anything for himself. He has nothing in life except four amazing friends. And in verse 5, the scripture tells us that he gets a breakthrough in his life. He gets more than what he even came there for. The trajectory of his life changes and goes in a whole different direction. Why? It says because Jesus saw not his faith, but their faith. It was these four guys. Jesus was like, I mean, he's not even looking at them. He's looking up. Imagine this story. Jesus has a, a room, probably hundreds of people. He's crowded in this room. The windows are open. The doors are open. There's a crowd of people just leaning into the window. They're hanging on every word of this rabbi teacher. They just want to hear the words of Jesus. I mean, they're anointed and filled with authority and compassion and truth and grace. And people are leaning into this moment. And here comes these four guys on each corner of this mat carrying their friend. If you're that friend, what, what are you thinking? Like if you're the guy on the mat, you're thinking, where's y'all bringing me to now? Last time y'all brought me to, you know, he's just like, where y'all? And they're just like, just be quiet. We'll call him Maddie. Maddie, you just be quiet. Maddie, just trust us. Just trust us, Maddie. We're going to a party. Just trust it. It's going to be a good party. He's like, who's at this party? Who's going to be there? Just, you just trust us. You're going to want to see who's at this party. They get to the party. There's so many people. They look and they're like, there's no way we're going to, we can hear Jesus in there. We can faintly hear him, but there's, there's at least 50 people between us and the door. How are we going to get there? And one of the guys, he was probably an engineer. One of the guys looks, he goes, I know what we can do. I got an idea. Let's grab those ropes over there. I'm going to get a ladder. We're going to climb up the side of this house on top of this house. It's probably Peter's mom's house too, by the way. They, they, they're like, we're going to climb up there and I, I have an idea. And they're like, okay, we'll trust you. The whole time, Maddie is just very confused at what's going on, and he's just wondering what's going to happen. And they begin to, to raise him up over this roof, and now they're on top of a roof. It was probably made of leaves and, uh, and, and brush and, and, and some branches that is thatch. And they get on top of this roof. Jesus, I mean, they can't see Jesus, but they can hear him through the roof. And these guys literally just start digging into the roof and they start tearing the roof off this place. Now imagine if that happened right now. I'm teaching, all of you are right here, and somebody starts tearing a hole in this roof up here. That is a major distraction. That's gonna be a big disturbance. Jesus is preaching and all of a sudden, you start hearing things rumble up there and all of a sudden the sun starts to break through this place. And now the sun is kind of blinding everybody a little bit and, and now there's no teaching happening. It's creating a little commotion. Everyone's wondering what's happening and they begin to look up and they see four smiling faces just kind of leaning over, just like, <laughs> what y'all doing? You know, it's like. And all of a sudden this mat starts getting lowered by these four friends. I mean, it took a lot of energy. It took a lot of strength. It took a lot of faith. And in their mind, they're just thinking, if it doesn't matter what we have to do to get Maddie to Jesus. We've just got to get Maddie to Jesus. We've just, they had to lift him up and they had to break through a crowd and they had to do what other people would probably not be willing to do to get their friend that they deeply cared for to the feet of Jesus. He's lowered there and he's laying. Imagine the scene now. 
There's a crowd of people that came just to hear teaching. And now they're disrupted by this paralyzed man laying on a mat. I don't know if the four guys stayed up there or if they jumped down or they lowered themselves down like James Bond, you know, I I don't know what they did. But Jesus looks at this man and his life is forever changed. And here's why. Because this man had the right people in, in his corner. There are four corners to this mat and he had four unbelievable friends in his corner. And I think about that for your life and for my life. The first thing I wanna tell you is this, is that who's in your corner? You need to understand this, as rudimentary as this may sound, it's funny how, how, how many times we forget the importance of this. But who's in your corner? It matters deeply. It matters more than you probably even think that it matters. I love uh, the scripture over in 1 Corinthians, verse 15, it says, do not be misled. See, it's easy to be misled. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. But, but think about the converse of this as well. Good company, faithful friends, positive friends, life-giving friends. How does that influence your life? It's not just that, you know, bad friends are going to make you turn into a bad person. It's not just that. It's that you put the right people in your corner. You get the right people in your life. It could literally change the trajectory of your life. It is so imperative that we're constantly evaluating the people that we've surrounded ourselves with. This is not just a message for a junior high kid or a high school kid. It's funny how we easily gravitate towards people that are impressed with us and not people that will challenge us and push us. And you surround yourself with people that are just impressed with you, that will tell you the things that you want to hear, not just the things you need to hear, then what you'll find is you'll be restricted to a three by five life. And I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I want my life to be so much larger than the mat of my own brokenness. I want my life to be so much bigger than just this limited three by five vision. I want to surround my people with a very large vision. I want to surround my life with people that dream big and that are inspiring and that have some ambition in life. I don't want to surround myself with people that just have small vision, that have small dreams. I want to surround myself with people. Man, I'm preaching better than y'all just, okay, anyway. (laughs) Write this down. Your relationships will either propel you or prevent you from the potential that God has for your life. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20 says, become wise by reading good books. No, become wise by walking. When the scriptures use the word walking, it means living. It's the life that you live. Become wise by walking or living with the wise all around you, surrounding yourself with the right people. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Hang out, with, hang out with people that have small vision and small dreams or that are negative and pessimistic. You can be naturally the most positive person, but you surround yourself with negative people, watch the direction of your life. Eventually your words will start to sound very pessimistic and cynical, but you surround yourself with positive people, people that have life-giving words that roll off their lips, you'll find yourself starting to be a little bit more aware of your negative words and you'll wanna speak encouraging words. I'm telling you, whoever you hang around, my mom used to say like this, you hang out, you, what'd she say? You hang out with dogs, you're gonna get fleas. That's what my mom would say to me. That's disgusting, mom, thanks. But I get the picture. Um, I wrote this down. You are the average of the five closest people in your life. That's the reality. You can read this, that principle in many, many different books, but it is the truth, is that you are the average of the five closest people in your life. So, so the question is, who's in your corner? Who, who's in your corner right now? 
Who do you have in your corner? You know, uh, people would tell you, I, this may be, be kind of weird for me to talk about this in church, but I'm really into boxing. I like boxing. I know it's kind of, seems like it's becoming an antiquated sport, but I still, I'm a little old school. I like boxing. Especially, I love uh, boxing movies. Uh, my favorite is, is, is Rocky. Like, I love Rocky. I still, I mean, who doesn't love Rocky? It's unbelievable. Not all of them, but there's a couple of them that were good. Um, <clears throat> But I love Rocky. I love Creed. Creed is another. Have you seen Creed? Creed is a good one. Uh, I love them. But here's what I love about, about Rocky. I, I do love Rocky, Sly, you know, the way he talks. Yo, Adrian. I mean, I love all of it, right? I'm into it. But you know who I love the most in Rocky? I love Mick. Remember Mick? The corner man. Do you, have that, do you have that picture? Can we put that picture up here? This is one of my favorite pictures. I don't know if you have this or not. Hopefully you have it. Oh, if they have it, they'll throw it up there. But it's a picture. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's, it's Mick. Remember, he's the, the little short kind of guy, old guy, white, white hair. And his, like, his voice, like, it's just like, man, he just looked like he would bite you. You know, like he just, he was a hardcore guy. But, but what I've discovered is in boxing is this, is that a fighter, a fighter can be a great fighter. A fighter can, can have so much potential. They can be a champion on the inside, but the key to a great boxer is actually their corner man. It's so imperative that you have the right corner man. As a matter of fact, I was doing some research uh, about it the other day, and, and you guys are not, probably most of you will not know this name, but there's a guy named Angelo Dundee. You, you've probably never heard of this guy, but many consider his work as a corner man to be unmatched in the boxing world. Uh, you may not know that name, Angelo Dundee, but have you ever heard of Muhammad Ali? Have you ever heard of Sugar Ray? What's home? Yeah, Sugar Ray. Leonard, yeah. Have you ever heard of him? There's like 15, 16 of these guys. I could go down that list and name them. He was their corner man. And he would get there and he would, he would, he would, he would inspire them and he would give them a perspective. Uh, I wrote down these few things that I, that I read about. Um, he was key. The corner man was key for, their, for the adjustments for the fighter. They could change the strategy and improve the success. Like the, the boxer may have went in with one strategy in this fight, but the corner man could help him change and get a new strategy so he could win the fight. Uh, inspiration was a, a big part of it. It was about the mental game. The corner man could see that the fighter had kind of lost his mental edge. And when he got back in the corner, he would try to inspire him and get his mind right. It was a mind check. Try to get him in the right mental space again. It was inspiration. Instructions. Uh, a corner man could, could call out instructions and commands from the corner while the boxer's boxing. And the boxer is not just focused on the fight. It's focused on the voice in the corner, hearing what the instructions are being called out perspective. Think about this. You can be in the middle of a boxing match and just, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Remember that statement? I love that statement, but I guess it was Tyson. But, but you're right. You have an opponent right up on you. You have a perspective that is kind of shallow because you're right on the, right in the fight. But the corner man has a bigger perspective and can see something larger. The corner man has a perspective that you don't have when you're in the middle of taking punches. Emotional control. You know that when you're in a fight, your emotions, if you've ever been in a fight before, I don't recommend it. Um, but if you have, like, how many of you in here, you got in a fight when you are a kid and you, got, you, you get that angry cry? <laughs> you punch them. You lose your emotions, man. You just lose it. Face get red, splotchy, sweating, like you got a little armpit, like you just like start crying, lip quivering, just punch them. Who punches like that? Mm. Mm. But a corner man, a corner man has emotional poise and control. Um, they're not too pumped up and they're not flat. They know the right words to say and recovery is a big one. 
A recovery is a big one. When, when you get back to the corner when you're boxing, your corner man knows exactly how they need to care for you so that you can continue in the fight. Now, here's the thing. Here's the reason why I say that. John 16 says, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. You know what that means? This world has a way of feeling like you're in a fight. If you're not in a fight right now, fighting some things in your life, this is not a prophetic word. This is just the reality. You will be fighting something eventually. And who you have in your corner may determine if you come out that ring alive. It's important that you have the right person in your corner because corners matter. I, I don't know if they have this. I, I sent this in at the last minute today for our notes, but I had a mentor that talked to me about uh, how life is like a boxing ring. And he says, there's four corners to a ring. And he says, these four corners represent four different types of people that every person probably has in their life. The first corner is, it's, this first type of relationship is a life-changing relationship. These are mentors, maybe a spiritual advisor, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe even a parent. These are people that, man, because of them, they, they're literally, it's, they, they're life-changing. Like they, can, they, they, can, they help you climb to new heights. They pour into you. They invest into you. And if we're not for them, like you, just, you just don't know where you would be in life. I think about, I have about four or five people in my life right now that if it were not for them, I would not be here today. They are life-changing. I cannot imagine my life without these people. They're life-changing. Second, second corner is this, life-giving relationships. These are relationships that, well, there's reciprocity in them. Is that when you're around these type of people, man, you leave feeling better. You feel, leave feeling encouraged. You love to hang out with these people. Like, it's not a burden to hang out with these people. Like, you want to hang out with your friend. Yeah, like, you feel like, man, there's some days you're not having the best day, and they pour into you, and there's some days they're not having the best day, and you pour into them. Like, it's life-giving, and it's life-flowing. There's reciprocity. But then there's a third corner. It's life-draining. Life-draining. Now, here's the thing about life-draining people, is that life-draining people, there's rarely any reciprocity, you, you really don't want to be around them. Like when you know that, when you, when you know that you're going to have to spend time with these people, you're like, oh. you know what pumps through your veins when you think about them or when you see that text, you're like, oh. life draining people. Now here's a reality. You can't completely avoid life draining people. Some of you, you work with life draining people. Just reality. Some of you are married to life draining people. <laughs> This is a reality. We're going to work on that in this collection over the next few weeks. Life is filled with people that because of, listen, because of the brokenness of humanity at times, they're going to drain the life out of you. Why? Here's why. Watch. Because they're not emotionally mature. They're not healthy. And they need to be healthy. See, but you can't just avoid life draining people. But here's the, here's the fourth corner right here. My mentor told me this. He says there are life killing people life-killing relationships. These people, you know it, if you're honest, they don't just drain the life out of you, but literally they are destroying your life. They are, the enemy is using them to destroy your life. John 10, 10 says, for, says that God gives us this abundant life, right? It's God's will to give us this abundant life, but the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now watch this. People aren't the enemy, but the enemy uses people. And there are some people that could be in your life right now that are in that corner. And you know that. Now, you've never identified them like that, but here's the exercise I have for you. Think about the people in your life and think about the ring. Here's what your responsibility is, is to understand which corner to put people in. Yeah. 
And that should inform you the capacity or the bandwidth that you give them in your life. You don't want to have people that are life draining, taking up all your time. Now they should get some of your time, but they should not get all your time. You know what you want to do? You want to spend the majority of your time investing in those, those people that they give you life and you give them life. And those people, their life changing. You want to give the bulk of your time to those people. Jesus did this. Jesus did not just stay with people that were draining life out of him. You know where he would go and spend most of his time? With a life-changing person, his father. He would not just spend all this time with the 72 or the 120 or the 12 disciples. You know what he would do? He'd get alone with the three. He even had one out of the three. There's different people that are in your life currently that they should not get all of your time and all of your energy. You're not their source. God can be their source, but you're not their source. They should get some of your time. But listen, it's your job. It's not my job or their job to define who they are and which corner they should be in. You've got to define that. That is, that is, that is key that you get this at this point. Because there's some people that you may be given the most of your time to, and they actually should be in that fourth corner. You know what? Those people, they should not be in your life at all. Put them in the corner, lock them up, get them out. Thank you, Lord. Some of you needed to hear that. In Jesus' name. Let me give you the second one for you really quick. Is this helpful at all? Okay, great. <clears throat> second one. Community doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. At some point, community doesn't happen by chance. I love, by the way, I love this about our church. We're at least small enough at this point where when you feel something, you can be like, say that again. And I'll say it again. You can hum at me. Hmm. You can clap, say amen, whatever. The more you participate, the faster I will preach, the faster you'll get to watch the game. Okay? Jesus' name. Some of y'all like, yes, pastor, go, go, yo, yeah, amen. Hallelujah, glory. Community doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. At some point, the man on the mat in that text, he made a choice. I want to be surrounded by these four men. Men or women, we don't know, whatever, right? I want to be surrounded by these four people, whoever that may be for you. At some point, those people in his corner, they made a choice that I'm not going to give up on my friend. I'm going to stay in his life. It's not by chance, it's by choice. Um, I, I want to encourage you with this because I think that people do think that community is discovered. And the reality is it's not discovered. It's actually cultivated or created. And that it doesn't just happen. When you see people that have a rich relationship, that did not just happen. It took effort. It took intentionality. It took time. It took sacrifice. When I see someone that has something special, I have to automatically assume there was a price tag attached to that. Meaning that they had to pay, they had to pay a high price. They probably had to probably had to pray a long time to get that relationship. They probably had to invest financially and, and maybe make some sacrifices, drive an hour to spend time, just a little bit of time with that person. It just, it just, that's the reality. Nothing in life that is worth anything is free. It's just not, especially rich, life-giving, flourishing relationships. It takes work and it takes us making a choice. I'm going to make this a priority. No one has ever just drifted into a great relationship. It takes work. And even if one just plopped right in front of you, after that, it took a lot of work. <laughs> it just takes great relationships. It's, it's by choice. I love this, uh, this proverb right here. The sage says this in Proverbs 18. A man or a woman who has friends 
must show themselves to be friendly. You know what that says? Don't expect for people just to like you. Don't expect for people just to jump into your corner and be like, I want to be your corner man. No, be friendly, be kind, be generous, be positive, show up. Half the battle is showing up. Half the battle is just showing up to a small group. Now listen, I'm, I'm gonna tell you this right now. I remember whenever we went to Dallas, moved to Dallas, Texas, we didn't know anybody. My sister, we're originally from Louisiana, my sister moves to Dallas, so then we moved to Dallas following her and then she moves to San Francisco. I'm like, could you slow your roll? You were the only person we knew. And now we're here in San Francisco. You can't move anywhere else unless it's Santorini in Greece or Hawaii, then I'll follow you there. Church, the Lord's calling me to oh, Hawaii, okay. But we show up in Dallas, we don't know anybody. We sold our house. We left everything in Louisiana. We show up in Dallas, Texas. We, 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 we didn't have a house yet. Some, somebody let us stay in their garage apartment. I'll never forget this. It was a one-bedroom garage apartment. We left a beautiful home to this one-bedroom garage apartment. And our, Liam was sleeping at the foot of our bed. That's going to really promote intimacy in a marriage, right? <laughs> sleeping at the foot of the bed. <laughs> Just being real. And... And, and Nixon's like a year old. We had a pack and play in a closet. So that was his room. I mean, we had nothing for these, these, this short period of time. We were just like, what have we done with our life? I remember one morning waking up and Jennifer, she just shows up in Dallas and we're connected to this church, but really didn't know anybody. And that morning she's getting dressed and I'm like, hey, where are you going? I'm going to work, but did you, did you get a job? I don't know anything about it. She's like, no, I'm, she's like, I'm, I'm going to a small group. I read about a small group online. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. You're just gonna go show up at this small group? We're in Texas, these people are crazy here. They're probably carrying a gun. I mean, these people are crazy. You're just gonna show up? She's like, what am I gonna just sit at home? She's like, I can't just sit at home and just be like, I'm not connected. I don't know anybody. All my friends are back here. I'll never have these friends again. She's like, I've gotta go, it's a choice I've gotta make. I've gotta go step out. And I was like, go ahead girl, more power to you. Let me know how that goes. Let me know how that works out for you. I'm going to work. It doesn't happen by chance. It happens by choice. Listen to me. I, I want to I I give you this one phrase. Lean in. Two words. Say lean in. Lean in. What I've found is that in anything in life you have, that you really want, you have to lean into it. You have, here's what I mean. It's going to take you pursuing it. Leaning in. Don't wait for it to come to you. Go towards it. Make a choice. Some of you in here, you, you're like, I don't have healthy, great, life-giving relationships. Lean in. I pray that you hear that today. Lean in. Get, join, join a small group today. If it's not at this church, if you're visiting from another church, I want to encourage you, don't be a familiar stranger at your church. Lean into relationships. God, God has so much he wants to do in your life, but you're going to have to lean in first. You're going to have to lean in. Proverbs says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another person. You know what that means? In other words, you need the people around you to sharpen you because without them, you will be a dull Christian. Lean in. Here, here's, here's the next thing I want to tell you under this little heading is church. Tragically, this is under, I wrote down just the word church to remind me of this. Tragically, many people go to church and complain about not feeling connected. And as a pastor, that always breaks my heart. Because part of our assignment as, as, as pastors and leaders that are trying to organize ministry as a church is to create little pockets, small groups, go through the growth track, join the dream team, come to a team night. We're trying to create these little circles that are hopefully like breeding grounds for connection and relationship and all those things. And you may even be single and you scoping and hoping those are great spots for you to be at too. Just saying great place to meet somebody is in the house of God better than 
the club you're at Friday. I mean, anyway, uh, sorry. Preach that, pastor. But so we do, we try to do our best to create, create these things. But here's, here's what I've learned. I've been doing this for 20 years now. I've been a pastor for 15. I've been doing ministry for 20 years. I've been a part of, of, of two amazing churches. I have bounced around like bunny believers, hopping around all these different churches. We just trying them out, seeing what they're like. No, 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 get planted, be committed. God works in the conspiracy of commitment. Plant your life, get in the covenant relationship with people. Even when they say things you don't like, don't just go somewhere else because you didn't like. No, no, no. Be committed. Be planted. Here's what I've learned in 20 years is that many people will go to churches and will say, I just don't feel connected. or I don't feel like I know anybody. or I don't feel known or I don't feel this. Or, I don't feel that. You'll, I'm going to say a, a bold statement here. You will never experience what you deeply desire, consciously or subconsciously, deeply desire to experience by just going to church on a Sunday. You have to take advantage of all those little things. Small group, go through a growth track, start meeting people. You know the people that are the most connected here? And this is not a shameless plug, but kind of is. Um, you know the people that know each other the deepest here? Uh, are the people that, that are in small groups, have gone through the growth track, have joined the team, are serving in some kind of capacity. Doesn't mean you have to show up on six, at 6 a.m., but you could, you, could, you could serve once a month, serve once every six weeks, whatever. Here's why I'm telling you this. It's not because I want something from you. We've made it just fine without you serving. Some of y'all are like, you being a little spicy today. Listen, we're trying to win this game today. We got to be on our A game and be spicy. I'm being for real. Listen, I'm just being as candid as I, as I can possibly be. God doesn't need you and he doesn't need me, but he wants us. This church, listen, this church will go on with or without you, with or without me, with or without, you can just pick anybody in here because this church is not built on a man, it's only built on Jesus. This is his church. He, and listen, we're not even building his church. He's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But here's, here's, what, I, here's what I want you to know, is I want you to know what it means to be known and loved and valued and contributing and adding a value. And that's why I talk about this stuff all the time. Some of you are like, I'm so tired of you talking about small groups and dream team and growth track. And listen, it's what we do because we want you to be connected. And the people that are the most connected are the people that are on a team or in a group that are serving. I, I was helping a, a, a couple move yesterday. They, they, uh, they were, they're moving to a new place. And so they sent out a little message to get some people to help them move. And I showed up and I haven't been feeling good. I've been kind of sick the last few days, but I, I showed up at their house. Uh, they're on our team here. They serve on our team. I showed up at their house and then Pastor Josh, he showed up there as well. And I was sitting there, we were like moving and I hate, I hate helping people move. I'm gonna be honest with you, I hate it. <clears throat> Um, but people hate helping me move. Um, no one likes to move. Who likes to move, right? It's just, it's terrible. Just, it's terrible. We, it's just bad. Anyway, so I show up there, but I'm looking at them and I'm watching and I'm thinking, you know what? I would hate to be in this city and have to move and not be connected. Yeah. I would hate to be in this city and have, because it's just inconvenient and it's, you got to pack stuff and climb up flights of stairs and nothing fits. Everything's over large and you got to, you know, it's just like, but I thought, man, I'm so glad that I have them and that they have us and that they have Josh. I'm so glad. And you know why? It's because we're connected. And, and here's, here's what you need. You need people on your best days. You need people on your bad days. You need people on your big decision days. And if you don't have that, that means you don't have somebody in your corner. But here's the last point I want to give you. Whose corner are you in? Because a lot of times we sit around waiting for someone to get in our corner and we really just need to initiate and we need to get in someone else's corner. Those four guys in that story that we read earlier, at some point they made a choice 
it's probably going to cost me more than it's going to cost the boy on the mat. I'm probably going to have to give more in this relationship than he is. But I'm making a decision that I'm going to get in his corner. And I'm going to be for him what he cannot be for himself right now in this season. And, and be in his corner. You know why we do that? Because we realize that in Christianity, the gospel teaches us this. Is that even in our worst days, when we are flat on our back, on our mat, in the brokenness of the depravity of our own sin, flat on our back, in sin, living a three by five life. You know who was in your corner? Jesus. He was in your corner. And listen, the gospel is this. It's not just that people bring you to Jesus. The gospel is that Jesus, he comes to you right where you're at on your mat and he picks you up. He lifts you up out of the brokenness of your own despair. And that's why you and I have the motivation to get in someone else's corner. I wanna encourage you today. If you've been feeling like you're alone and you're just kind of living on a three by five mat in life, the quality of your life feels like it's just not where you want it to be. Don't wait for somebody to come and get into your corner. Go get into somebody else's corner. That's right. That may be one of our small groups, but it may just be you just saying, God, beginning something simple like this, praying, God, I want to have the right people in my corner and I want to be that person in somebody else's corner. Do you know that that man on the mat for the rest of his life, imagine the gratitude that he felt towards those four people that were in his corner. Imagine the stories that he told for the rest of his life about those people that just stepped into his life and they're in his corner. Don't you want that to be your journey? I want that to be my journey, amen? Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.